0: Well, let's let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, thank you uh, for the opportunity we have to come to worship you. Uh, God, we thank you for the many benefits that you give us. And Lord, we thank you uh, that you indwell us uh, with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we are uh, empowered by that. Um, Lord, I just pray that um, we would uh, truly just take advantage of all of the benefits that you have given us, that we would not neglect those things. Um, and God, just that we would uh, live our lives in a way that that honors you. Um, God, I pray that you would be with us as we continue our study, that we would have a, a more accurate understanding of what your word says. Um, and God, just that it would uh, just bolster us up, that it would encourage us and, and uh, cause us to press forward uh, with what you have called us for. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Amen.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we are continuing our study on the Holy Spirit. I believe this marks about halfway through the lesson, so. Um, in the past, we've talked about uh, the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. Um, his work in the Old Testament uh his work in the, the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, we've talked about uh, the Holy Spirit in the conversion of sinners, just a, our inability uh, to save ourselves and uh, the, the necessity of the Holy Spirit to come in and, uh, and make a change in us uh, so that we can be saved. And then last week we talked about the Holy Spirit being our teacher, um, helping us to understand uh, the truths of Scripture, helping us to understand the things of the Spirit uh, that are uh, just so foreign to us in our natural state. This morning, we're going to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit being the Sanctifier. That's um, a that's a very important thing. Um, now, sanctification is one of those words that um, has a very particular meaning, specifically in the in the context of the church, and so um a lot of times you know some people don't don't fully understand what it means but you know obviously if you spend a lot of time studying theology you're going to you're going to be pretty familiar with it so let's just square that away what is sanctification how would we define that I got a smaller crowd this
1: morning so a process. What's that? A process in the Christian life. Uh huh. Yeah,
0: the process of the Christian life, where, um, I mean, the I think I know when I was looking at like how to answer that question, I thought a good way to answer it is the Westminster Shorter Sorry. Catechism, um, and uh, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, where, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. So it's a, it's a process, uh, just like you said. So, yeah, it's, it's something where we are more and more being conformed to the image of Christ. Sin is more and more being dealt with, um, and more and more we're following a life of righteousness. Um, and so that's that's what, we're, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about sanctification. And, and if you were here last week for Pastor Rick's sermon, um, that, was a, that was a large part of what we were talking about, right? Just dealing with sin. Uh, that's, a, that's a huge issue in the life of the Christian. I mean, that's, um, you know, sin is what has estranged us from God in the first place. And so when God saves us, he doesn't just leave us in that condition. But uh, that's something that is dealt with throughout our Christian life is, the, uh, is just the, the putting to death uh, the, the sins that we have a tendency to commit First um, Corinthians chapter uh, 6 um, I'm going look at verses 9 through 11 here First Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11 uh, Paul says or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God Do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice practice homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So as we consider this passage, um, why is it that Paul tells the, the, uh, the people at Corinth not to be deceived? That's something he's very concerned about. Like, don't be deceived. What's what's his concern? Why is he asking or telling them to not be deceived? What what might they be tempted to to think?
2: Well, they could be tempted to think that. You know, because I'm forgiven in Christ, I can mm-hmm. just do whatever I want. Right. Yeah, that's exactly
0: right. I mean, and that's 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 something that's often like a, a false charge, you know, thrown against the gospel. Is like, oh, well, if, you just, if you're just forgiven, you can just live however you want. Um, but, yeah, they might, I mean, there's, there's certainly that temptation. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people have that attitude. Even as Christians, sometimes we can struggle with that attitude. It's like, well, I'm forgiven, so it's okay if I do this, right, you know? Um, and you know, and Paul's saying, D- "Don't be deceived. That's not the that's not the way things work. Um, if you if you live in sin, if you if you uh, just if this is the practice of your life, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That, that's not the way it works. <clears throat> um, so, uh, what is the change that um, that Paul describes? Uh, that has happened to these, uh, to these
2: Corinthian believers. Well, verse 11 says that you were washed, mm-hmm. the implication washed in the blood, and you were sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus.
0: Right,
2: right. So they've been,
0: they've been cleansed. They've been set apart. um I guess that's something that should be mentioned. Is that the, word sanctifi- the word sanctified often has that idea of being set apart, being uh, separated for a holy purpose, um, and so these people they've been they've been set apart. They've been they've been cleansed of their um, of their life of sinfulness that they used to live in. Uh, and how is it that it's accomplished, according?
2: by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in the name of Christ. Right, yeah. It's in the name of
0: Christ and it's by the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who comes in and who changes our lives and, and conforms us to the image of Christ, to borrow language from another text, uh, and just to, to cause us to no longer walk in sin. Um, Peter has um, uh, something to say along these lines as well. First Peter Chapter One. Looking at the, just his introduction there in the first two verses, First Peter Chapter One, uh, he begins, "Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the who to those who are elect, exiles of the uh, dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood." May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So Peter here is he's addressing uh, this uh, audience of Christians, um, and does he divide his audience into those who are undergoing sanctification and those who are not? No, no. It's it's, it's basically he's, he's saying it's like, look, you're you're the you're the elect of God. You're. Um, you're, you're predestined for this, for, for sanctification. Um, and it's attributed to the spirit, just like Paul did, right? Um, it's sanctification, in, uh, it's, it's in the sanctification of the spirit. Um, and it's tied to the obedience uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, just the idea that, you know, sanctification is obedience to the law of God. Um, so whatever Jesus Christ commands, that is what we are to obey. Um, and that's what Christians are called to. Um, Interestingly here, he's got that terminology of sprinkling with his blood. What's what's the significance of that, do you think? Any thought? Is there any... Old Testament references to sprinkling with blood.
3: I was just thinking that it's well, you've got the blood on the doorposts from uh, Passover, or Mm -hmm. the sprinkling of blood on the uh, on the mercy Mm seat.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have sprinkling of blood on the mercy seat. You have sprinkling of blood on all sorts of articles of of furniture within the tabernacle. Um, That's I mean that's something that like when you look at the Old Testament worship. Uh, things were set apart for a holy use by the sprinkling of blood. I mean, that's that's just kind of the the symbolic use there of the sprinkling of blood is that these things were set apart for a holy purpose. Um, these were not common things anymore. Um, and so I think that you know when we look at it, it's uh, that's that's very much the idea that we as Christians we've been set apart. Uh, we're sanctified. We are. Um, in a basically a position of being God's holy people Um, and that needs to have an impact in the way we actually live our lives it's not just a positional thing Um, but we need to be being sanctified Uh, we need to be (coughs) obeying Jesus Christ that's the that's the idea there Um, now looking back at the Old Testament um, there's a passage in Ezekiel chapter 36 um, where um, some of these ideas are presented here. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 26, uh, God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Um, so when we consider this, this is, a, seems to be a description of, again, God uh, sanctifying his people. Um, so when we, when we think about what's going on in sanctification, uh, and we look at this passage and the way that that's described, uh, would this be consistent with the idea of, of God giving divine assistance in us doing good, but ultimately leaving it up to ourselves? Um, basically, where it's like he kind of gives us a helping hand, but then says, "Okay, now you make use of this
1: <clears throat>
0: if you choose. Why not?"
3: Well, it's, it says that specifically, verse, uh, hold on. verse twenty-seven. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. It's, it's mm-hmm. not; it's a cause and effect. Mm-hmm. It, um, and so it's it's not the choice that we have. Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's the, it's, it's very clear. It's like, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. That, that doesn't, that's not as like, well, I will, I'll give you the tools you need to walk in my statutes if you choose to. But, um, but there's, I mean, yeah, it is very much, a, there's a causal relationship there. Um, is, there is there any, um, is there anything else in this text that kind of helps us to understand what's going on? Um, why is it? How do I want to ask this? Why, aside from the fact that it's just stating that it's you know that he's going to cause us to do that, is there anything that's the basis of the fact that this is guaranteed to happen?
3: Oh, we're talking about the removal of the heart of stone and replacing mm-hmm. it with the heart of flesh, um, and that heart of stone refers back to, uh, well, or can potentially refer back to. Uh, Like God saying, He hardened the heart of Pharaoh, or how He's hardened these people's hearts, and that they can't obey or they can't submit. And He's saying, No, I've removed that hard heart from you and given you a heart of flesh. Right, yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, obviously, the idea of a hard heart is very much the idea of being in opposition to God, of being unwilling to submit to what uh, God has commanded us. Uh, But God takes that away from us. Um, I mean, you know even if we're not all like pharaoh who's you know it's like outwardly obviously opposed to god i mean all of us um in our nature are opposed to god and have that hard heart and we have that heart of stone um and so the spirits work in us it's a radical change in the core of our being we we have a, a complete alteration in a sense of who we are god takes away uh that old uh, sinful self um, and replaces it with uh, with a, a disposition to want to obey God so it's a it's a radical change within us
1: um,
0: so sanctification is from God um, I guess we should we should clarify that this, this radical change doesn't make us where we never sin anymore it's not it's not on that um, that type of thing. There are some people who would teach along those lines. Uh, we still sin. We, we still there's still uh, the remnants of the flesh in us, and that we have to we have to struggle against. Um, but there's a there's a radical change there, where we are not in the same state that we were in before the Spirit came and began working in us. <clears throat> so sanctification is from God. Um, and so we shouldn't proudly uh, attribute it to our own power. I mean, that can be a temptation, right? Uh, when we actually find ourselves, uh, you know, successfully doing what God has commanded um, is as imperfectly as we do, you know, we can look at our lives sometimes and say, okay, yeah, I'm making progress. I'm I'm finding that I'm getting some victory over sin. Um, I'm succeeding in, in fighting this. Um, there can be a temptation to just look at it and say, wow, look look how good I'm doing. I'm, I'm, really, um, I'm really accomplishing things here. Uh, but the reality is that it's the spirit of God working in us. It's the, that sanctification uh, has to be attributed to God. He's the source of that sanctification. He's the source of the, the change of heart. He's the source of us uh, obeying the law of God. Um, and we, uh, I mean, we can't even just attribute it to, like, God's initiative. It's like, oh, well, if if I'd been left to myself, yes, I'd be sinning, but God, he helped me out, and then I took advantage of it. Because even then, we can still boast, right? Even then, if we're saying, well, look, I, the difference between, uh, you know, me and the guy over there who's just living in, you know, in horrible sin is you know, we were both given the tools, we were both given the opportunity, but I was the one who made use of it. Uh, The reality is we really have to put all of it on God, um, biblically speaking, and as a result, we have no grounds for boasting. We have absolutely no way to take any credit for any of the righteousness that we perform. But of course, this raises a question. Does that exclude our own action and our sanctification? Should we just let go and let God and um, just just sit back and wait for the Spirit
3: to sanctify us? Well, because we have, a, we have commands for obedience as well. Mm-hmm. In fact, at the end, at the very last line of that passage in Ezekiel, um, yeah, after, um, hold on. At the end of verse 27, it says, be careful to obey my rules.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like specifically stated as a command, but it's, you know, uh, he's going to cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my <clears> rules. But that's something you're going to be doing, right? It's a description of what we're going to be doing. We are going to be being careful to obey God's rules. The source of it is God. But we're still going to be being careful to obey uh, what what God has commanded us. Kind of the, uh, at least in my mind, the classic passage that deals with this this kind of looking at it from both sides is from Philippians two. Um, I'm sure that anybody who's who studied this topic, you guys are you guys know exactly where I'm going here. Uh, Philippians two. Um, and I always like to, to, to read both verses 12 and 13. Sometimes, you know, it's it's easy to, to just look at, at verse 13 because that's where the meat of what we're going to mention is. But but verse 12, I think, really just like nicely sets up the, the contrast, as it were, the, the, the conflict that you've got to try to understand how it works. So verses 12 and 13 of Philippians 2. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both the will and to work for his good pleasure. So, I mean, the question that you have to ask when you look at verse 12 is, uh, why does Paul exhort them to work out their own salvation? I mean, isn't that isn't that heresy to talk about you know working for your salvation? We don't believe that, do we? What do you think? What's what's going on here?
2: Well, it's it you know it, it really is is saying to us you know that God's salvation is complete.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know when when He Uh, saves us and he gives us his spirit he is actually bringing about a change in us so he's working in us and the result of that is that therefore we will work out our salvation we will be living Mm -hmm. you know a certain way right you know and and that is to to obey not just when people are watching Mm -hmm. and so that you know it's like okay look at me what i'm doing but there's a desire to do that all the time, uh-huh. even when no one's watching, because right. it's God's Spirit who's working in you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I,
0: I really like the way you put that. That um, that it's a it's a I don't remember exactly the words you said, but basically it's a complete salvation. I, I think that's the way you said. But just the idea that I mean, sometimes people have a notion of salvation that it's it's all just limited to justification. I mean, if we have our theological terms right, you know, we're talking about justification you know, that's, that's where God declares us to be righteous and accepts us, um, sinners though we be, he accepts us on the grounds of the righteousness of Christ. Um, and some people, like, that's that's all they really want to look at in terms of salvation. But it is a complete salvation. It's a salvation where God plans um, to save us completely, not just to save us from the, the penalty of sin, but to save us from the power and the presence of sin. Um that, that sin is going to be completely eradicated uh, from who we are. And so it's not just limited to the, our legal standing, but it is a complete salvation. And so when we're working out our salvation, it's not that we're working for our justification. But uh, when you include the, the sanctification aspect in there, we are working that out. Uh, that's something that we have to do. We have to actively do that. Um, and, and, yeah, um, and, again, another great point that Pastor Rick brought up there is that when it's God that's doing it in us, it's not going to be just something that we want to do just for outward show. I mean, when we consider many of the criticisms that Jesus had of the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees were, they were the, they were the righteous group. They were the Bible-following group. Um, they weren't the, you know, the people who were, you know, just like, I want to give, you know, I just want to say that I'm, you know, following God and then just live however I want. The Pharisees were like, no, we're going to, we've got all these rules. We're going to, we're going to really like show people just how holy we are. But so often it was just, we're going to show people how holy we are, that their hearts were not in it, but they just wanted to put on the outward uh, expression of that, that they were, in Jesus's terms, they were whitewashed tombs. They wanted to make a big deal about their fasting and their praying and and their giving, um, but really their hearts weren't in it. Um, And so when we talk about what God actually does in the heart of a believer, um, he's going to make people want to obey him, not just when they're being seen, but at all times, because really God is their audience. That's the one that they're trying to please with with their... uh, with their righteous works, not just getting the applause of men. So when we look then um, at uh, the beginning of verse 13, um, Paul uses that, that little word for there when he's connecting verses 12 and 13. What's the, what's the significance of that? What's the purpose of the word for?
2: Sometimes it can be translated because mm-hmm. you know it's sort of a result, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that means then the working out of our salvation uh, comes as a result of the work of God's Spirit in us. Mm-hmm. It's not, like you said, it's not to earn our salvation or something that that we do in and of ourselves. Right. But it comes as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. So so basically, Paul is is pointing to what he says in verse thirteen.
0: As a, as a grounds and motivation for what he's commanding in verse 12. So he's, yeah. he's in verse 12, he's commanding, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the reason to do that is because of what God is doing in you. God is the one who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's why he's giving that command that we work out our salvation. Um, and when we consider... Um, Obeying God, um, we've got willing to do it, and we've got doing it. I mean, that kind of covers it, right? I mean, is there is there anything to obeying God other than the, the willing and the actual work of doing it? That that covers it, right? And then, so who's the one that's who's the one that's accomplishing that according to Paul?
3: It's God. We're
0: it's God. God. It's God. So when we will. When we choose, when we when we see the you know the, the option in front of us, it's like I could I could do what God says, or I could go against what God says. And it's like I want to do what God says. Um, you know that's that's what the 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 heart cry of the Christian should be. Um, and it's it's God who's doing that. It's God who's causing us to will that. And then you know sometimes it's like I want to do what's right, but then I don't do what's right. Um, So, you know, but even when when we do what's right, when we actually go beyond just the desiring it, but we actually, you know, put forth the effort and we do what God has commanded us, um, even that, it's God. It's God working in us, causing that to happen. So God is the one who is responsible uh, both for our, our willing and our working and even though the holy spirit isn't specifically brought up in this passage i mean it's it's clear in the passage that we've looked at and some some more that we're going to look at that it's the holy spirit is is who is actually in us doing this work uh, but it's just this philippians passage is, is very nice in just setting out the fact that it's we are commanded to do this this isn't just something where we let go and let god something where we just sit back and wait for the holy spirit to sanctify us But we have to actively be working. We have to be fighting against our sin. Um, But that in that, it's God who's working in us. It's the Holy Spirit who is empowering us. uh, Not just to have the ability, but to even desire it. And in our actions of doing it, it's the Holy Spirit working in us. Is that that clear? That all makes sense? Um, Now, one passage that's... um, um, obviously, like, very focused on this topic. Um, so um, I want to look at, at Romans 8. Um, Romans, and we could just kind of narrow down on a certain area, but I kind of want to look at um, a, a, a big old chunk of Romans 8, because Paul just has a, you know, just kind of a, a line of argumentation that he's following through, so... Hopefully it won't get lost in the, in the size of the text, but this is definitely one I would recommend you, you have your Bible open if possible as we discuss it, because uh, there's a whole lot here. I'm going to start just by reading the first eight verses of Romans 8. So we'll start there. Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. Uh, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For this, uh, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, this is one of those passages we've we've looked at parts of in our previous studies, but um, it's just very important for as we consider the work of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. Um, As we've talked about before, um, the the contrast here is between those who uh, live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. And that this is not a distinction between different types of Christians. This is a distinction between non Christians and Christians. Um, it's it's not something where there's the the spiritual Christian who's living living according to the spirit and the unspiritual Christian who's living according to the flesh. Sometimes that interpretation is given, but um, but that's uh, that's that's not what Paul's talking about. Um, and we we talked about this um, I guess two weeks ago um, when we were talking about. Uh, regeneration just the inability uh, to obey God apart from the Spirit uh, those who don't have the Spirit of God those who don't have the Spirit of Christ um, they are unable to obey God there's just their their whole um, nature is set against God and is it host- is host is hostile to God and is it enmity with God um, and so it's only by the work of the Spirit that we will even seek to obey God's commands. Um, and that's—I mean—that's kind of the the main thrust of what I want to talk about in that section there. I mean, it's obviously grounded on the work of Christ, uh, which you know, if you follow the Book of Romans, that's been very much what what Paul has been talking about—is the is the work of Christ and placing our faith in Him and and trusting in his righteousness and not our own, but uh, the Spirit is at work in us, enabling us to to overcome that natural hostility to God and to be obedient to God. Um, And so then in in beginning in verse 9, just looking at verses 9 through 11 here, uh, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. as we consider this, um, Paul says some interesting things here. Um, why do you think, uh, or I guess, what do you think Paul meant uh, by the saying that the body is dead? Um, why do you think he didn't say the body will die? And it sounds like when you look at it, um, if you're if you're just thinking in terms of, of resurrection, um, mm-hmm. You might look at that and say, "Oh, well, okay, you know, the body's going to die, but uh, but we have we have life in Christ because of the resurrection." But but he says that the body is dead. What does he mean by that?
3: Was it referring to uh, in other places where Paul says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And okay. That spiritually our our bodies are dead in our well I guess that doesn't quite work.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're, I think you're headed in generally the right direction, but, um, but I, I don't think it's, it's a contrast necessarily between uh, the state prior to being a Christian and the state after.
1: I think this... the beginning of the verse it says, if Christ is in you, Mm -hmm. so I think that's the reason that the body is dead, because of the sin, sin, uh, but the spirit of life because of the righteousness. And I think maybe the key here is uh, if Christ is actually in you.
0: Yeah, even, even with my hearing aids here, I'm, I'm struggling just a little <laughs> bit. I'm sorry.
1: Right. Yeah, I think the key here is the beginning of verse 10, if Christ is in you. Mm-hmm. So if Christ is in you, so the body, body should be dead because of the sin, uh, and, but the spirit of life because of the uh, righteousness. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason for both sentences here is if Christ is in you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's it's, it's certainly just absolutely critical, is that Christ is in us. And the way that Christ is in us is by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, and I think that when we consider that it's like... And since he's talking about that there's, there's still an aspect of us that is still... Um, still corrupted by sin, even though we have this sin, uh, nature still in us, um, that we have this righteous principle, this, this spiritual power within us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is giving us life in spite of the the fact that we have a a principle of death within us. Um, and so we have these things that are basically at war with each other. Uh, the 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 aspect of us that is still uh, represented by death, um, but we have Christ in us, and that is providing life. Um, so the Spirit is there, uh, providing life, and so it's it's you know it's because of sin um, that that this death is here in us. Uh, so let's see. The you know the body is dead because of sin. Um, so basically, what's what's there of our natural selves, just because of its sin, is just it's inoperative toward God. It's it's unable to um, to do what God has commanded us to do. Uh, but the spirit um, is life because of righteousness. And so because of the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ, um, that. Principle of life in us uh, through the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit uh, it's it's giving us that life that that um, generative power uh, that enables us to actually uh, live in a way that is pleasing to God and it's the same Spirit who raises Jesus from the dead who will also give life to those who are in Christ so um, when we think about just the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in raising Christ from the dead, that's the power that's at work in us. That's the power that's enabling us to overcome the the sin principle that is in us. Um, So, and and when you look at this passage, I mean, there is some debate about, um, you know, whether this is, just talking about our, our overcoming sin or whether it's talking about the resurrection in the last day, but I mean both things are in a sense are a part of that that the the presence of the spirit in us enables us to overcome sin in the present and ultimately overcome death um, when we get to the, the final resurrection I hope that's at least somewhat clear, that might be a little muddy but um, hopefully that Gives us a little bit of an understanding of that mm-hmm. section there. Let's let's go on um, then to uh, verses 12 through 17, which is really kind of the 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 crux of what's going on here in our struggle with sin. Beginning in verse 12, uh, Paul says, "So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to uh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die." Provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, as we consider this section of the text here, um, Paul begins with a "so then," um, and it's it's always, I think, instructive to like look at the connective words and phrases that are used when we're looking at passages of Scripture. Why do you think that Paul uses that phrase then, "so then"?
2: Well, he's really drawing the conclusion that because of the things I just said mm-hmm. are true, mm-hmm. then this is the result. Right, yeah.
0: So looking back at just the discussion of the, of the fact that Christ is in us, that we have this basically resurrection power in us, um, that that should have a consequence. Um, and the consequence is, he says, that we're debtors. Now what, is it, what does that mean, that we're debtors? Um, I mean, oftentimes we use that word today strictly in financial terms. You know, um, is that is that what's is that the way it's being used here? What would be a what would be a synonym for that?
2: Maybe someone who's bound to something. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, the idea of being bound. Um, I like the word obligation. I think that that's a that's a good way to express what Paul is getting at here. Um, so he's, when he says we're debtors, he's saying we have an obligation. We have an obligation. This is something that we are required to do. Um, and he goes on. He's like, well, what you know? What is this obligation? We are we are we are debtors. We have an obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Um, and then, but if you, let's see, I think you skip ahead, yeah, if you skip ahead to the middle of verse 13, uh, but uh, if by the Spirit, so the idea is there is that you're walking by the Spirit, not not to not to live according to the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit. That's our obligation. Um, it's not just an automatic thing where it's a it's, uh, I mean, again, this goes back to Philippians 2. It's not an automatic thing where you just sit back and wait for it to happen. Uh, but it's also not a thing where it's like, well, this is up to you, and if you, you, know, if you don't do it, you're not going to have this. Um, it's a guaranteed thing. But the obligation is to not live according to the flesh. That's what we're tempted to do, right? Um, and there's a, there's a consequence, right? If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Um, So, it's the idea that instead of living according to the flesh, you're living according to the Spirit. Now, he uses different terminology when he talks about living according to the Spirit. How How does he describe it there in verse 13? Instead of saying, live according to the Spirit, what does he say? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there, he—I mean, it's not just a matter of living uh, according to the Spirit, but it's actually a view of when you're living according to the Spirit, what what your attitude then is towards the deeds of the flesh. Right? It's not just like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to to live according to the Spirit, and and you know. Just kind of ignore the other path of living according to the flesh. Um, but you're actually to turn your hostility toward that. You're to, to seek to put to death the deeds of the body. You're so su- you're so su- you we are we have this obligation to fight against sin, to try
2: to kill sin. Um, so, don't you think that sort of brings out the conflict you're reading Galatians, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, where it talks about the spirit and and the flesh and Mm -hmm. and the fact that they're not neutral towards each other. Right. They they are active. I mean, it would be like if, you know, if you take the war in Ukraine and you're Mm -hmm. just like, well, if you take one side, but you ignore the other one, well, the other one's not going to stop. Right. It's going to keep advancing. Exactly. So you have to address that and you Mm -hmm. have to, you know, so anyway, those two ideas go together, that if yeah. you want to live in one, you have to put to death the other, because the other will seek to take over. Uh-huh.
0: Yes, yes, that's exactly right. And just, I'm going to say, that, that passage in Galatians, I'll just read it, because it's, it's here in my notes here, uh, Galatians 5, uh, verses 16 through 18, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratis- gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Um, and so there, I mean, it's it's definitely a setting up that contrast that these things are hostile <coughs> to each other by nature. Um, and um, in, in Romans 8, he's you know he's very much not just leaving it to where it's like, yeah, I can I can just choose to live according to the Spirit instead of living according to the flesh. But you actually have to be Actively fighting against the works of the flesh, they're going to be seeking to get a hold of you. Uh, they're gonna, they're gonna try to deceive you, uh, to uh, seduce you, to to um, to seek after those things. It's it's very deceptive, um, and so we as Christians have to be uh, fighting against sin. I mean, as John Owen famously said, you know. Uh, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Um, that's the that's the reality of it. Um, but if you are, uh, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So there we see also just the idea of uh, becoming sons of God, the idea of adoption being brought into this. Uh, that's a that's a further benefit a further motivation. Um, he says, for you didn't receive a spirit, uh, sorry, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoptions, uh, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba, Father. And so, it's not a spirit where we have to just cower in, in the face of our enemy as we are just tempted by all these uh, various things that come our way. Um, But we have um, a spirit of sonship. We are the children of God. We have that, um, we have great power in our war against the sin that is in us. Um, I mean, it is the, uh, I mean, there's there's so many things that converge just in our, our union with Christ and the indwelling of the spirit and being sons of God. Uh, these are things that all should be uh, just a great encouragement as we fight against sin. Um, and then going back to uh, the Book of Galatians, um, there it it does very much set it up as as a war between these two aspects. But we're to we're to walk by the Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit. Um, and, you know, and Paul continues with, like, you know, what are the works of the flesh and what is the fruit of the Spirit? Um, and verse beginning of verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so there, I mean, again, just the, in a sense, the the language of hostility towards sin that we should have. We we've, we've crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. We still have that uh, that principle within us that is seeking to to disobey God, but we have to be hostile toward it. I mean. It's, uh, you know, harkens back to last week's sermon, where you know talked about just being serious with sin. Uh, you know, and just Jesus's language of like cutting off parts of your body in your fight against sin. Um, it's a very serious thing, um, and so we need to we need to consider that warfare, but also to take great comfort in the fact that we have uh, the Holy Spirit that is um, that is fighting within us, that is causing us to will and to work for God's good pleasure. And then finally, um, as we close, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 23 and 24, Paul there prays, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So, I mean, that really brings us right back to the fact that it's God who's doing it in us. And we have that promise that God is faithful. He's going to do this. And so as we fight against sin, um, one of the things that I think is just really helpful um, in, in overcoming sin is this recognition that, um, that we have God on our side and he's promised to do this. There's there's no chance that he will fail to sanctify us. Um, it you know it can just be very tempting to say it's like man I'm just struggling against sin I'm not getting the victory I want I am just never gonna I'm never gonna get there um, and I mean in a sense we're never gonna fully get there in this life but ultimately uh, we are going to fully get there we're gonna be completely sanctified because God is faithful he is going to make sure that all of his people are completely conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, and it's by the work of his spirit in us that he accomplishes that. Yeah. Any final thoughts
2: or questions? Amen. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's, it's the word of God. It, it, it uh, tells it like it is. And so um, it's, a, it's a great encouragement to us. So. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just, we thank you for the indwelling spirit. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your commitment to sanctify us. Uh, and Lord, it's, it, it just seems like we so often just stray from you and seek our own way and the, the flesh uh, that is in us just seems so strong, uh, just pulling us toward death. Uh, but God, I just pray that we would really uh, just truly consider the 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 fact that we have the, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, the, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Uh, and God, we have your promise that you will sanctify us. God, we have your promise that you cause us to will and to work for your good pleasure. And so God, I just pray that you would continue that work, that you would bring it to completion so that we would... Uh, truly escape uh, not only from the the penalty of sin, but from its from its power and from its presence. And God, that you would be glorified in the sanctification of your church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.